Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner, and we are still quarantined. So forgive the natural, real-life noises you may or may not hear in the environment today. The notion that we only use 10% of our brain has been perpetuated throughout pop culture and was even the basis for the 2014 movie, Lucy. It suggests that if we could just access the other 90% of our noggin, we'd solve all our problems with a snap of a finger. However, science has proven this to be quite false. John Hopkins neurologist Barry Gordon commented on the myth saying, We use virtually every part of our brain, and most of the brain is active almost all the time. Put it this way, the brain represents 3% of the body's weight and uses 20% of the body's energy. If we're delivering so much energy there, why do we struggle with focusing, multitasking, remembering names? When we fall short of these self-imposed expectations, we might begin to believe we're limited. And this hampers our attempts at achieving extraordinary lives, rewarding careers, and fulfilling relationships. But what if the solution wasn't about what we needed to learn, but first, learning how to learn? What if we had the tools to sharpen our focus and manage our minds, giving them the much-needed TLC to function? Today's expert has proven everyone can upgrade their brain and memory. So that book you've wanted to write but never found the motivation or concentration to start is within your reach. Your fear of public speaking could become your highest craft. You might just need a tune-up. It's more vital than ever to level up our minds. We're overloaded by information, distractions, and anxiety of the present and future. So as we pilot the turbulence, we can gift ourselves mental empowerment. And I conveniently know just the guy for the job. Jim Quick is a world-renowned brain coach and leading expert on memory improvement and brain performance optimization. His upcoming book, Limitless, which everyone will be pre-ordering after this episode, guaranteed, aggregates his 25 years of research techniques and mastery used by thousands of the top athletes, celebrities, and CEOs globally. I've had the privilege to attend a few trainings and seminars and can vouch for the immediate advancement. And now it's your turn. Jim, welcome to the show. So thankful to have you. Allison, I'm so grateful, and thank you, everybody who's joining us. I'm so looking forward to this brainy conversation. Good, good. Now, you have quite the childhood story that led to the formation of your mission. Could you first give us some insight into your background and how you practically inverted your apparent destiny? The simple answer is my inspiration was my desperation. When I speak at various events, Occasionally, I'll do these memory demonstrations where I'll have maybe an audience of a thousand people and have a hundred of them stand up and introduce themselves to everybody else. And I'll remember their names in real time or memorize a hundred numbers or a hundred words, forwards and backwards. But I always tell people afterwards, I don't do this to impress you. I really do this to express to you what's possible because the truth is every single person with us today can do that and a lot more. Mm. It's just we were not taught. If anything, I feel like we were taught a lie that somehow our intelligence, our memory, our focus, our innate potential is somehow fixed, like Mm -hmm. maybe your shoe size. 
And as you alluded to, we, we've discovered more about the human brain, more in the past 10, 15 years than the previous thousand years combined. And what we've found is we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities. You know, we live in this world of technology, you know, of autonomous electric cars and spaceships that are going to Mars. But our vehicle of choice when it comes to operating the ultimate technology, our brain is kind of like a horse and buggy. Mm -hmm. And um, in school certainly didn't show us all the ways we could tap this magnificent potential. School was a wonderful place to teach you what to learn and what to think and what to remember and what to focus on. But there weren't a lot of classes on how to learn and how to think and how to focus and how to remember things. And so that is really my mission. And the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because at the age of five, I was in kindergarten class and there was this loud siren outside and we were so tiny, we couldn't see outside the windows. We all grabbed our chairs and ran over to the window and stood on the chairs to see these, these amazing fire trucks and firefighters. And they were for me, modern day superheroes. And I, I just saw them in their costumes and their utility belts, and they were going into danger and saving the day. And while I was in this awe, one of my other classmates pulled the chair from underneath me, not with malintent, but just I think they wanted to use the chair to look over and see outside the window. And I went head first, and I had a very bad fall and a traumatic brain injury, and I was rushed to the hospital. And my parents said I was never the same after that is before where I was very curious, very energized, and I was more shut down and I had processing issues and teachers would have to repeat themselves over and over and I would pretend to understand, but I, I didn't really understand. It took me extra three years to learn how to read and that was a big challenge. You know, when you got in those circles and you have to read out loud and that book sure. kept on getting passed closer and closer to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I would look at the words, but the words meant nothing. And I would just pass the book on. At the age of nine, I remember one of those powerful memories of a teacher. I was slowing the class down when I was nine years old. And I remember I was being teased by some of my classmates and um, kind of ridiculed for it. And the teacher pointed to me and said, that's the boy with the broken brain. And I don't think it came from, again, from a negative place. I think she was trying to defend me a little bit in her own way from the other kids saying this boy has this, you know. Give him more patience. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but um, all I remembered was broken brain. And uh, adults have to be very careful because their external words become a child's internal words. And that label became my limit. Speaking about becoming limitless, it put me in a box in my own mind that I couldn't do things. And the that, broken you know, brain became the broken record. Yeah, over and over again. So how it became that broken record was that every single time I did badly on a test, I would always say, oh, because I have the broken brain. I wasn't picked for sports. Oh, it's because I have the broken brain. Your brain is like a supercomputer and our self-talk is the program it will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, you won't remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. People come to me all the time and say, Jim, I'm not smart enough. I have a horrible memory. And I say, stop. If you fight for your limits, you get to keep them. If you fight for your limitations, you mm -hmm. get to keep them. And I think sometimes in our life, and maybe people could identify with being labeled in some other area of their life. Maybe it was an academic, but that became the box that I, that I struggled to get out of. And so I became very passionate about unlocking this box, solving this yes. riddle of how does my brain work so I can work my brain. And at the same time, it was really challenging because my parents, they, they immigrated here. My dad was 13 years old. He left because both his parents passed away when he was 13. 
2018. And so he moved here to the United States to live with his aunt mm -hmm. and didn't speak the language. You know, we lived in the back of a laundromat that my mother worked at. My grandmother, more my aunt, my, my dad's aunt, who I only knew as a grandmother, raised me. And at that same time when I was struggling, she was struggling with dementia. And it was really hard. I would come and bring her food, you know, in bed and she would call me by my brother's name or she would repeat something she just said 30 seconds ago. And these are the kind of things that shape, you know, a child or a human being. And it put me on this path. And now, now my mission really is because of my learning challenges, my, my quote unquote broken brain, my Alzheimer's and my, with my grandmother, I just want to build better, brighter brains. My mission is to leave no brain left behind. Mm, I love that. And it reminds me of the phrase, pursue the problem you were born to understand. I think you come at it with tenacity and fervor and you're just like, I got to figure it out. And especially when you think about not just your own individual improvement, but what it can do for the collective and just seeing your transformation to now being limitless. Your book, Limitless, releases April 28th. In it, you're demystifying the three elements that we need to achieve all of our goals, your mindset, yeah. your motivation, and the methods. Yes. Can you give us a special preview of how you define these elements and see them interconnecting? You know, this book initially was a book purely on methods, that last M. And I tend to alliterate everything to make it memorable, so three Ms. It used to be all methodology on how to read faster, how to improve your comprehension, how to give a speech without knowing notes, how to focus and concentrate and learn languages and all these wonderful tactics. Mm -hmm. And then when I was ready to submit it to my publisher, I was just, wait a second, let me, let me take a step back. You know, my goal is for people to be able to do this and to integrate this into their lives. So many people know what to do but they don't really do the things that they know. And that bothers me to, to no end because I believe in the mindset chapter, that section I demystify like these seven myths to learning and our potential. Mm. And one of them is knowledge is power. And uh, you know, it's something we say, I've said it before, but um, it's not completely true. Just knowing something doesn't give you power. It's knowledge times action or application that it makes it very powerful, right? But a lot of people will go and they'll buy books, but they will sit on their shelf being unread. Buying a book is a different skill set than reading a book. I figured that out. And some people are just really good at that first one. They're really good at buying books. Mm -hmm. And then their shelf, it becomes shelf help, not real self-help for people. My goal with this book is to make it the most read book this year. And not the most bought book, but I want people to read it because I wrote it in a way that it teaches you how to read books. Mm -hmm. And so let me give you an example of that. So the framework you're referring to is a three-part framework, three M's, and you can visualize it as three intersecting circles, kind of like Mickey Mouse, two ears and a face. So three circles that come together. And so the first circle is mindset. And mindset, I am defining as the set of assumptions or attitudes we have about something about ourselves, about the world. What would fall in this circle are things like what we believe is possible, what we believe we are capable of. What would fall in this circle is what we believe we deserve also. And here's the thing, just fast forward, when we get to methods, I could teach somebody a wonderful method on how to remember names. That's a very useful skill nowadays, right? Because how are you gonna show somebody you're gonna care for them or their family or their, their business, their future, their health, whatever it is you have to offer them if you don't care enough just to remember their name? 
right? Maya Angelou said, people forget what you say, they'll forget what you did, they'll always remember how you made them feel. So remembering someone's name makes them feel really great. So that's the method, and I teach people like a dozen different ways to remember names, but if going back to mindset, if you believe that you're not smart, if you believe you have a horrible memory, if you believe that you are horrible at remembering names or that you're too old, that will affect the result we get, even if we have the proper method. So that's mindset. Next to that, you have the second M, which is the motivation, as you mentioned. Now, motivation is kind of a loaded word because some people think like they get motivated in the moment. They go to something and they get really excited. Maybe they dance around and they say, okay, I'm motivated to work out every day or to meditate each day or to eat the best foods. I'm going to go on that diet or whatever it is. But then after 24 hours, they go back to their set point, right? And they're not motivated anymore. So motivation for me is not a surge of excitement. Even if people have seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro, it was about a man who goes from zero to hero by taking this pill, right? All of a sudden when he takes the pill, he has amazing focus. He could organize everything. He wrote his book in a, in a very short period of time. He learned all these languages and he had this incredible memory and also get a surge of motivation. But when that pill wore off, what happened? Like 24 hours later, no more motivation. Everything just disappeared. And that's not the goal. So I figured out the formula as this three-step formula for sustained motivation. Mm. So if someone's listening to this right now and they have struggle with procrastination or they're always putting things off or they can't get themselves to do the things that they know they should do, mm -hmm. there are three parts to motivation that we talk about. And the reason why it's mm -hmm. important is motivation for me is real drive. You don't have to pump yourself up to do this thing, whatever that thing happens to be. And we can go deep into that. And then finally, the last M, as you mentioned, are the methods. And the reason why it's there is because originally that was the book. It was a tactical textbook, neuroscience-based book on how to learn faster. And I think if there's one skill to master in the 21st century, I think it's our ability to learn better. Yes. Because in a world, as you know, especially what's going on in today's environment, the way people work in the future changes. The way we learn changes overnight almost. Mm -hmm. If somebody like a genie would grant you any one wish, but just one wish, you would wish for infinite wishes, right? Millions mm -hmm. of wishes. Sorry. But if I was your learning genie and I could grant you any one wish to learn any subject or any skill, like a master of it, what would the equivalent be of infinite wishes? It would be learning how to learn. Because if you can learn how to learn, you could grant your own wishes. You could apply that towards Spanish, to math, to Mandarin, to martial arts, to money, to music, to, to movement, to anything gets easier after that. Mm -hmm. So we focus on methods. Now, do it in your mind, imagine it. Mm -hmm. And if you can't imagine it, just imagine, you can imagine it in your mind, <laughs> three circles intersecting. And so we have mindset, motivation, and methods. And where mindset crosses over with motivation, you have inspiration. I'm going to give you three I's, right, to match up with the three M's. We know mindset books. In fact, one of my favorite books is Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. We know mindset motivation books or motivational speakers. And we know inspirational movies and inspirational quotes and inspirational books and speakers. So that's inspiration. Where mindset crosses over with methods, you have the second I, 
mindset and methods. Mindset is in, you know, what you believe is possible. It's in your mind. And methods are how to do something. It's still in your mind. So that I call ideation. This is where you're missing the motivation. So you're not doing anything. It just stays an idea in your mind. And that's valuable, but it's not complete. And then finally, where motivation crosses over with methods, motivation and methods, you have implementation. Implementation. Mm -hmm. You're motivated to do something and you know what to do. You have the methods. But I want everyone to think about a part of your life that you feel like you're being held back. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in your health and well-being. Maybe it's in your potential relationship or in your current relationship or maybe it's in your income, an area where you're not making progress and you feel like you're in a box. And so everybody has some area of their life, I think, that you know, if they're honest, that there's some area that they're not living their fullest potential, right? Or they're, or they're stalled. And so think about that box. And that box is three-dimensional right? The three dimensions that keep us in that box are our mindset, our motivation, and our methods, Mm. right? So that box or that cage, that's what keeps us there. But the good news is that's also what liberates us to get out of that box. And so when all three of these connect, mindset, motivation, methods, and inspiration, and you have ideation, and you have implementation, that centerpiece that element there, that's a sweet spot, that's integration. Integration. Mm. When you have all three combined, you're in an amazing place because integration is just your identity. You are fully integrated. It's just who you are. And that's the limitless state. And so I wrote this book for anybody. It's not about being, limitless is not about being perfect. It's about progressing and advancing beyond what you believe is currently possible. Mm. And I believe in these days, especially today, I believe that when you're making this decision about our dreams and our goals right now, you're reevaluating your life, that you shouldn't downgrade your dreams to fit this current situation. Instead, upgrade your mindset, motivation, and your methods to meet your destiny, your dreams, right? And actually, I'm going to touch on the word integration. It includes the word integer, and the origin of that word means whole, wholeness. Mm-hmm. So it's it's amazing to think about us upgrading as well as becoming more and more whole, filling in spaces that might have been fragmented or Ooh. perceived as broken, but really stepping into wholeness. I love that. Can I use that? (laughs) Yeah, please take it, run with it, share it. It's free knowledge, right? Give it away (laughs) and let people find it and use it. So two of the facets that we were touching on when it comes to having to ingest so much material right now, two components of that are memory and reading and retention. Sure. So I want to um, talk about memory first. Sometimes we read multiple pages of a book and then we realize we don't remember what we just read. Why do we actively forget in real time? And what can we do to absorb and retain information so that after you give us the three M's and the three I's plus integration, we can recall that? Okay, so you have the, the three M's and three I's and you have that, that limitless state. How do we apply that towards having a better memory? If people feel like their senior moments are coming too early, you're like, I'm, I'm way too young for, to, for me to be forgetting all this. Mm-hmm. Or you feel absent-minded, like you can't remember where you put something, like your phone or your keys or where you parked the car mm-hmm. or you, somebody just told you something and you can't remember what you were going to say. I believe two of the most costly words sometimes in our life 
or in our work are I forgot. You know, I forgot to do it. I forgot to bring it. I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot the conversation. You know, I forgot that meeting. I forgot that person's name. All those things. Um, it, we lose trust. We lose connection. We can lose business, right? This is what I want everyone to remember, that there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's a trained memory and there's an untrained memory. So I want that to be the new belief that our memory is not, it's not fixed like our shoe size or something like that. Mm -hmm. That memories aren't something you have. Memory is more something you do. And I'm going to mm -hmm. talk a lot about taking nouns and turning them into verbs. Whereas you don't have focus, you do focus. You don't even have creativity. You do creative things. And so, you know what I think, Allison, this conversation is really about? It's about transcending. Transcend. Mm -hmm. Ending the trance. Mm -hmm. Ending this mass hypnosis that we're not enough or we're not smart enough or we have a horrible memory. And because those are lies. And in the book, I document you know, these seven lies, including the 10% myth is one of the lies as well. But a lie for me is an acronym because I have to make everything memorable. Sure. Lie, limited idea, entertained. A lie is a limited idea that we are entertaining. We're just, it's not necessarily true, but we're giving it energy. And because we give it that energy, we give it power to shape our, our own reality. So a lot of these things come in the form of lies. Like the fact that people don't have a good memory is a lie. Think about all, everything we do remember. I challenge anybody to do anything without their memory. So their memory is pretty, pretty amazing as it is. Maybe it could be sharpened in certain areas, but it could definitely be developed. And I thought it should have been taught back in school. You know, they teach you three R's in school, reading, writing, arithmetic, but remembering could have been the fourth or retention. Socrates said, learning is remembering. And so let's debunk this. There are many strategies you could use to be able to remember things better. I would say one of the most important distinctions when it comes to your memory is it's not when someone forgets, let's say, a name, because I think that's pretty common for people. It's not a matter of your retention. It's more a matter of our attention. It's not our retention. It's us paying attention. And we live in a world right now where our attention is always being hijacked by things. We're looking at shiny objects. And here's the key to a better memory. The art of memory is the art of attention. But whatever you do consistently, you get better at because you create more of those neural pathways, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we're getting really good at is distracting ourselves. You know, because we're always on these devices all the time and every like, share, comment, cat video, whatever people are watching, one of the challenges is it, it gives us a dopamine flood and it makes it, it hard to be able to focus sometimes because it rides the part of our nervous centers that really responsible for our learning and our motivation. So especially first thing in the morning, one of the, one of the tips that I always tell people, if you want a greater memory and better focus is not to touch your phone the first 30 minutes of the day. And I know some people are listening and saying, oh, I like this guy up till now, but I'm, I'm guilty of that. But the reason you don't want to do it is because when you wake up, you're in this alpha, theta, this relaxed state of awareness, these brainwave states. And that means you're extremely suggestible. And if you pick up your phone the first thing, what you're doing is you're training your brain. You're rewiring your brain, number one, to be distracted. And number two, you're rewiring your brain to be reactive. And this is kind of interesting. Have you ever gotten a message first thing in the morning and it just like taints your whole day yes. or puts you in a certain mood during the whole day? Mm -hmm. Like one message on social media or a voicemail message or a text message because it puts you on the defense. 
Right. And all of a sudden you're fighting fires. And how can you build a quality life or quality day if you start off just reacting? Really the key to having a better memory or a better brain or a better life is really taking responsibility. And meaning that you want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Mm -hmm. If you want a better memory, if you want to have better focus, if you want more joy, identify more with the thermostat than the thermometer. Now, a thermometer, what does it do? It, its only function is it reacts to the environment. But a thermostat doesn't do that. It gauges the environment, but then it sets a temperature and it it makes the environment change, right? right? And we could be thermostats in our life. We could set goals. We could set intentions. We could have a vision and take that invisible and make it visible through our, our discipline, through our will, through, mm -hmm. through the tactics, our mindset, our motivation. Mm -hmm. and so I would say to build your memory, first reduce the distractions in our life so we have that bandwidth, and then really exercise our focus. And one of the things that really helps us with our focus when we read something or when we're listening to something like a conversation like this are the questions that we ask ourselves. The questions are the answer. We know at any given day, the average person has about 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. And a lot of those thoughts come in the form of questions. And here's the thing, people don't realize this, but the brain functionally it's more of a deletion device than anything else, meaning that at any given time, you could pay attention to a billion stimuli, a billion different things you could pay attention to. And the brain primarily is trying to keep that out because if you paid attention to everything, you know, it'd be overload, right? So what do you allow in? You have part of your brain called the reticular activating system, RAS for short. One of the ways of utilizing and accessing that RAS is to ask questions. For example, years ago, my sister would send me postcards and photographs of a very specific kind of dog. It was a pug dog. You know, these little dogs mm -hmm. with squishy faces. Mm -hmm. They're very docile. You could dress them up like ballerinas and they just, they're just happy. I was asking myself this question, why she send me all these photographs and emails about a pug dog? And I realized that her birthday was coming up, right? And she's, she's planting seeds. She's a good marketer. But the funny thing happened, Allison, is I started to see pug dogs everywhere. Sure. I would go to the grocery store and I would be checking out and the woman in front of me is holding a pug dog at the cash register. I would be jogging in my neighborhood and I swear there was a man walking six pug dogs. And my question for everybody who's listening is, where did the pug dogs come from? Did they just magically appear on the earth? No, they were always there, but I never paid attention because it was part of that billion stimuli that wasn't important to me until I started asking the questions, then it started to appear. Right. Now, how you could apply this towards your reading or to your life is to ask more questions, meaning that when I start this book, it's not just a book on accelerated learning and speed reading. I actually designed the book so that you could learn it better. For example, remember standardized tests? Oh, yes. Like, so like the SATs and everything, people would do like the reading comprehension and you would read pages and pages of paragraphs and at the end there would be maybe 10 questions and you try to answer them and you're like oh i didn't know that's what they wanted to know mm -hmm. so a simple idea is why don't you read the questions first and then go back and you read you're like oh there's an answer there's a pug dog there's a pug dog there's a pug dog mm -hmm. as opposed to not so that's an idea to help you improve your focus and comprehension is to ask more questions this is just kind of a side tip for everybody and i encourage you to write this down and kind of meditate on this that out of these 
50, 70,000 thoughts a day, you know, we have a lot of questions and there's some questions we ask much more than any other question. And I call them your dominant questions. Maybe one, two, or three questions you ask more than any other. And thinking is this process of asking and answering questions. Even if somebody's listening saying, is Jim right? Notice you had to ask a question to think about it, right? So we're getting a little meta here. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually call this field meta thinking, thinking about your own thinking. So it's interesting, you know, meta learning, which is what this book is really all about, is learning how to learn. Metamorphosis is like this meta above change, you know, and I really do believe right now we're going through a metamorphosis in our society. Right now, people feel like they're in a cocoon. Mm -hmm. And in this cocoon, we're alone with our thoughts. You know, we're alone with our fears. We're alone with our doubts. You know, we're alone where we feel maybe loneliness also. So we're in this cocoon. But while the beauty is in the butterfly, the growth happens in the cocoon. And so it's a nice metaphor for where we are right now. So we could talk about how to get the most when you're when you feel isolated and use this time. So when you come out of the cocoon, you're better off because of it. And so the question, going back to our dominant question, I'm curious mm -hmm. what you think yours is. I'll give you I'll give you an example of mm -hmm. a friend of mine's. We found out that going through an exercise, that her dominant question is, how do I get people to like me? Now, as somebody's listening to this, you don't know her age, you don't know where she lives, you don't know her cultural background, you don't know her career, you don't know what she looks like, but if you know a lot about her, I bet. If somebody's asking themselves, how do I get more people, how do I get this person to like me? What do you think their life or personality is like? Quite chameleonic to fit whatever the person in front of them is asking for. Mm, there's no exactly it changes depending on their environment and who they're with. You know, they like what that person likes, right? So they are like a chameleon and they also end up people pleasing all the time. Right. And people take advantage of them and they martyr themselves because they always just want to be liked and it's never consistent and they can never be themselves and they're always a little insecure. And so you know all that about her and you know one question she asks herself. My question for everybody listening is, what do you think your dominant question is? What is that question you're asking consciously or unconsciously every single day more than any other? And it, the reason why it's important is because where your questions go, your focus goes. And where your focus goes, that's where your feelings go and your mm -hmm. actions go. According to Harvard University, a study done by George Miller, it's about seven plus or minus two bits of information that we could pay attention to consciously. Seven plus or minus two. So seven minus two is five. Seven plus two is nine. So like a phone number, certain like chunks of information, maybe seven bits. So what gets in are the things that that's important to you. So when you ask a question, I start seeing pug dogs. Now it's interesting because of what's going on in our environment right now with the media, there's a lot of fear. And the brain right now, that part of our brain that processes fear, our amygdala, is getting hijacked because it has to for our survival to pay attention to what's threatening us. And I have no problem with people knowing what's going on. I recommend it. I think it's good to know what's going on in the world so you can make decisions based on what's right. going on. Yet, we all know people who indulge in some of that darkness. And here's what I'm here to say, because I know it's a sensitive topic, but I want to remind you that we have more influence and control than maybe we think meaning that I opened the book with a quote from a French philosopher, and he says, life is the C between the B and the D. Life is the C between the B and the D. B stands for birth. So what does D stand for? 
Death. Yeah, death. And then C, life. C stands for choice. That, you know, our lives is a, the sum total of all the choices we've made up to this point. You know, not, not judging good, good or bad or, or indifferent, but the choices we made. Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? Who are we going to spend time with? All these choices add up to our current life. And the good news is we could always make new choices because one step in another direction can completely change your destination mm-hmm. or your destiny. I believe right now that how, how our brain works, there's an algorithm just like social media, that if you focus on everything that's fearful, and I wouldn't blame people if they did, because again, it's a survival instinct. But if we're doing that all the time, looking up all the news, especially when we go, before we go to bed and we wonder why we have trouble sleeping because we're putting all this negativity in, if you were just focusing on the fear and those questions around what, what could hurt us all the time, then what happens is you can't, you can only focus on so many things. So what happens is you delete opportunity. You delete your blessings. You delete all the things you could be grateful for and because you can't focus on everything. And so my main point in describing this is remember that we have choice to determine what our mindset is at any given mm-hmm. time, what our motivation is, and also our methods moving forward. And so finding out your dominant question, for me, it was, since I had the broken brain, I would always think, how do I fix this? That was my dominant question, because I was always broken. I was like, how do I fix this? How do I, how do I make this better? Because those were my life conditions. My dad was really, because he left his family and younger two siblings, he lost his parents. His questions was like, how do I keep the family together? because of what was imprinted on him at such a young age. And so I'm wondering what you think maybe, you know, what one of your dominant questions would be, like, what do you think you think about more than other things? Yes. And I think starting with the question, then you get to ask what's underneath the question and then go Mm -hmm. underneath that one and that one and that one ad infinitum. And I think at the beginning of the day, the most conscious question is how can I get everything done? And then underneath Uh that is how can I make each day count? And then that is a little more of an insecure or vulnerable question, which is how can I be important? Interesting. What can I do to be important and fulfill my potential? And so I think there are some some light sides, some shadows to the questions. But what I love about what you're saying and you know, let me remind everyone this initial question started with memory and reading and reading retention. But we've covered so much ground and we've talked about the RAS and we've talked about changing the power of choice, our dominant question. And initially you presented the idea of a dominant question at a seminar I attended at Upgrade Labs that you were hosting. And since then, I've actually been actively adjusting my question because as I learn new information and recognize where my previous limits were, I'm able to then expand from you know something that's more of tunnel vision to a more panoramic view. And then wow. with that knowledge, my question gets to expand um, or wow. I get to, to tweak it. And so I am a student here and I can prove and say with confidence that these are all techniques that are tried and true and applicable. And you start exactly where you are. It's mm-hmm. not about trying to wake up as right. Jim Quick tomorrow. In fact, that's not what our design is meant to be anyway. Okay, friends, I know this is abrupt, but because this conversation is so wonderful and we have plenty more to discuss, I've decided to save the second half for part two next week. 
We'll include our regular mantras at that time. I know it's a cliffhanger, but it's so worth it. I have already begun implementing his advice and sharing it with my circle, and we are seeing a real difference. So thank you for listening and being patient. Be sure if you haven't already to subscribe to the podcast so you're first to hear part two, and I will see you back here with Jim next week for more Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.